Welcome to Westport Road Baptist Church. We're so glad you've decided to join us for today's message. Westport Road Baptist Church is located at the corner of Hurstbourne Lane and Westport Road in Louisville, Kentucky. If you have a Bible, please have it handy and prepare your heart and mind as our pastor, Chip Pendleton, brings us the Word of God. Well, everybody is probably wondering about my tie and how nice it looks. My daughter bought me this in China when she was uh, uh, there studying abroad. And uh, so this is the, uh, the beautiful tie she bought me in China. Now, when I tell you that, guess what? It's either true or it's not true, isn't it? She either did buy it for me in China or she didn't buy it for me in China. Who thinks that's the case? Yeah, it's either true or it's not true. Now, I'm telling you it's true, so it has to be true, right? Is that just my truth or is it the truth? It's just my truth. I don't know. I'm telling you, that's what really happened. That's my story. I'm sticking with it. It's really true. This morning, we're going to be talking about truth and talking about what truth is. Now, probably most of you remember Dan Echternot, a longtime member of our church who passed away recently. Dan and I had a conversation one time about Philadelphia, where Dan told me when I was growing up, there was this huge eagle in Wanamaker's department store. And he said the eagle had these, these wings that were stretched out like it was flying and about to attack. And that's where you always met people in Philadelphia. They would say, I'll meet you at the eagle. And that's where you knew to go. And he said, so I would always do that. And I said, man, I'd like to see that eagle. I bet there's a picture on the Internet. So I went on the Internet. I pulled it up, and this is what I found, the Wanamaker Eagle. And I said, Dan, that eagle doesn't have wings outstretched. What are you talking about? And he looks at it, and he says, well, that's not the right eagle. And so I started scrolling down, and I said, it says that's the Wanamaker Eagle. It's never moved, and now it's in the Macy's department store, which took over Wanamaker's. And Dan says, well, it's not the eagle I'm talking about. And I said, it says right here, people used to say, I'll meet you at the eagle. And he said, it's still not the right eagle. And I said, Dan, that's the Wanamaker Eagle. And he said, how do you know you've never even seen it? And I said, well, apparently you haven't either. So was he just lying to me? He really believed that's what the Wanamaker Eagle looked like. So if he really believed it, if that was his reality, then it's true, right? No, it's not true. There is absolute truth, but that's something our society struggles with today. Is there truth and what does that mean? We're going to be over in John chapter 18 today, down to verse 28. John 18, down to verse 28. Jesus has been tried by the religious leaders. And during the trial, it was an unjust trial. It happened at the wrong time. Uh, It couldn't happen at night, which it did. Uh, They had false witnesses, which they knew were false witnesses. They beat the witness and mocked him the entire time the trial was going on. They broke every law that they could. And then they sent him to the Roman governor, Pilate, for sentencing. So look down to John chapter 8, verse 18, verse 28. John chapter 18, verse 28. And we're going to look at the question of what is truth? Because that's the question that Pilate will end up asking Jesus. What is truth? And that's the question we're going to deal with today. And the first thing we see is this. The ends do not justify the means. The ends do not justify the means. Look down to verse 28 of chapter 18. 
Man, the right chapter here. Oh, I'm in verse 28. Did I say verse 28? Somebody want to help me here? John chapter 18, verse 28. Who's agreed on that? All right, thank you. Thank you. My truth was not verse 28. And so it wasn't sounding the same. Verse 28. Just one second here. Verse 28. Look down to that right now. Then the Jewish leaders took Jesus from Caiaphas to the palace of the Roman governor. By now it was early in the morning, and to avoid ceremonial uncleanness, they did not enter the palace because they wanted to be able to eat the Passover. So Pilate came out to them and asked, what charges are you bringing against this man? Now it's interesting when our scripture starts here that we're told the Jewish leaders very early in the morning go to Pilate and wake Pilate up. Now, what's so urgent? They want Jesus put to death before the Passover and before there can be any big scene that takes place. Why don't they do it themselves? They don't do it themselves because the Romans ruled Israel at this time. The Sanhedrin, the Jewish council, could do day-to-day activities and make day-to-day decisions on things, but they couldn't pass the death penalty. They want Jesus put to death. So they've taken him to the Roman governor to have him put to death. But we're told that when they arrive at the palace, they won't enter the palace because they don't want to become ceremonially unclean. Now, that's kind of an interesting thing here. They wake up Pilate in the middle of the night, very early in the morning. For me, that's like 9 or 1030, you know, and, and in the morning, you know, they're, they're waking you up really early, you know, uh, when they're there. And so they're waking Pilate up. They're wanting Pilate to do something for them. But then they arrogantly won't even go into Pilate's temple. I mean, Pilate's palace, because they don't want to become ceremonially unclean and they're sticklers for following the law. They're sticklers for following the law, even though they've had an unjust trial and false witnesses and they've beaten the witness. They still are ceremonially want to follow everything the law says. Now, isn't it interesting that they want to be sticklers for following the law to where the person they're petitioning, they won't even go into his house because if a Jew entered a Gentile's house, they were considered ceremonially unclean because there may be unclean things in the house. And therefore, they couldn't go worship at Passover. So for them, they were willing to insult the Roman governor over them than to break the law. But they'd broken the law all night long. Why did they do that? For one simple reason, they believed the ends justified the means. Now imagine how Pilate felt. You've just been woken up in the middle of the night. You're forced to go outside to people who think they're better than you, even though you rule over them. And you're probably pretty upset when you go out. Uh, And that was probably Pilate's disposition when he went out. It's interesting that just in the last few months, got a picture here of the, uh, the excavation of what they believe at the very bottom uh, is Pilate's original palace that was in Jerusalem. You can't really tell much from it. They've just started the excavations, but they believe this is actually where Jesus would have been taken, that outer court. Of course, there's buildings over it now, but uh, they believe that that was where Pilate's outer court was and that those uh, uh, archaeological finds have just begun to start there. So why did they do this? They believed that the ends justified the means. That's basically what we used to call situation ethics. Uh, That the situation determines what you were supposed to do. There's no such thing as absolute truth. Uh, That that absolute truth comes and goes according to the situation. So you're driving on Waterson Expressway. And the speed limit's 55. 
and you believe in the speed limit and following it, except you're late for your meeting. So what do you do? You go faster than that because in this situation, the most loving thing for you to do is to get to your meeting on time. So that's okay. That was a situation where it was okay to avoid the ethic. Now, do you think when the police officer pulls you over and says, why were you driving 75? You said, well, you have to understand in this situation, I was late getting somewhere, so it was okay for me to drive 75. Is the police officer going to go, oh, I forgot about your situation. Okay, that's fine. No, there's going to be an absolute truth there, and you're going to get a ticket regardless of what that situation may hold for you or what you may believe about that situation. And we do the exact same thing with our faith. I had a friend uh, in college who began uh, seeing a, a woman who was married, uh, they begin to have an affair. I pulled him aside. I said, man, you know better than this. You know, you, you shouldn't be doing this. I said, why are you having an affair with a married woman? And he said to me, well, her husband's mean to her, so it's okay. So for him, the situation was, well, her husband's not nice to her, so it's okay for me to sleep with her. Uh, so the, that, that, that scripture is suddenly out the door or something like that. The situation is what dictates What's going on? My professor of ethics when I was at Southern Seminary years ago was Henley Barnett. And uh, uh, he used to debate Joseph Fletcher on situation ethics all the time. And he always told the story of his son. He said he always told his son, always try to do the loving thing and ask what you'd want somebody to do to you. And you're probably going to get it right most of the time. So his son came home and he'd gotten in trouble at school. And he said, what happened? And he said, well, the teacher gave me an F on the test. And he goes, well, what happened? Teachers don't just give you Fs on the test. You generally earn them yourself. Uh, How did you get an F on the test? And he said, well, the guy behind me said, I don't know the answer to any of these questions. Do you? And I thought, well, what would I want happen if I didn't know the answers? And I thought, well, I'd want him to give them to me. And I thought, well, what's the most loving thing to do? And the most loving thing was for me to give him the answers because he needed the answers. And so I gave him the answers, and then the teacher failed me. And he said three weeks later when he was through with his grounding and all the extra chores he had, he knew the word of the Lord a little more perfectly. You know, that that was there. And so, you know, the the situation is that is what dictating your, your values and your morals or is it an absolute standard, something that you believe in? The ends do not justify the means. That brings us to the second thing that we see. The next thing that we hear all the time that we see in our scripture passage is that truth is relative, but truth is not relative. Look down to verse 30 of our scripture passage. So they bring Jesus to Pilate. Pilate is irritated. It's early in the morning. He says, okay, what are the charges against him? Now, they don't really have any charges against Jesus that are are worthy of death. Their charges are he's a heretic, and by our law, heretics need to be stoned to death. The Romans aren't going to execute somebody because he's not following Jewish law. So when Pilate says, what are the charges? In verse 30, they said, well, if he wasn't a criminal, we wouldn't have brought him to you. Now, that's pretty snippy, isn't it? So Pilate doesn't like that at all. And in verse 31, Pilate says, look, if this is what you're talking about, matters of your law, take him and judge him yourself. You know, this has nothing to do with me. And then they said, but we have a right, but we can't execute anyone. This person deserves to be executed. And then they said, this took place to fulfill what Jesus said about the kind of death 
he was going to die. And he said that the Gentiles would execute him. Jesus had predicted in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 20, verse 9, 19. Therefore, he was going to be crucified, not stoned. And so here is Pilate and the religious leaders arguing back and forth about interpretation of the law. And the problem is, for them, truth has become relative. For the religious leaders, there is a truth, and the truth is, they believe Jesus is a heretic, therefore Jesus deserves to die. For Pilate, the way he's looking at it is, this man hasn't broken any Roman laws, I don't want anything to do with it, you go and judge him yourself according to your law. You have your truth, I have my truth, but your truth isn't Roman truth and, and, and whatever. And, and then you have Jesus stuck in the middle here uh, as they fight this out among themselves. And the whole thing they're fighting about is very, very simple. And it is whether or not uh, Jesus is what he says that he is. Look down at verse 33. Pilate then went back inside the palace, summoned Jesus, and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Now, why does Pilate ask him that? Because the, the, the charge against Jesus has to be treason. There's no charge for blasphemy in Roman law. And so what they're saying is he says he's a king. We have no king but Caesar put him to death. And so Pilate brings him in and says, are you a king? So is there an absolute truth here? Who is Jesus? Is Jesus the king of kings, the savior of the world? Did he come from God? Is he a heretic or a blasphemer? Is he have someone that has nothing to do with Roman law at all? And for everybody involved, it has to do with relative truth of this applying to me, but not to you. Pilate, go judge him yourself. We can't judge him. He deserves to die. Only you can do that. For me, it's the true. For you, it's true. What's, what's to come down in the middle? And so that's the thing that we still look at and that we still argue today. In 1997, 72% of people believed in absolute truth in our country. 72% of people believed there were absolute truths. There were things such as good and bad and right and wrong. Today, in 2019, only 28% of people believe in absolute truth. The vast majority of people you will encounter in this world do not believe that there are absolute truths. Only 28% of people absolutely believe that. So what do most people then base what they believe on? They base it on two things, they say. They base it on what's best for them in that situation and how they feel. Those are the two ways they're making decisions. How do I feel at this moment? Now, what's the problem with basing decisions on how you feel? You're going to feel differently every few minutes. Emotions come and go. So if every major decision is based on your feeling instead of on a truth, then you're going to be everywhere all over the board. And if you're basing it on what's good for you at the moment, again, there's going to be nothing that grounds you. It's just going to be whatever gets you out of trouble at that particular moment. So therefore, lying for me is good right now because it gets me out of the particular problem I'm in. But it just builds its own problem as you go into the future. But we have this whole problem with relativistic thinking that what's good for me is fine, and then you have your own truth. And we hear that all the time. We've everybody say, well, that's my truth. That's how I believe it. And if I believe it, then you can't, you can't come against it because that's my way of thinking. You don't want to be narrow-minded or anything. So if I say two plus two is five, that's, that's my truth. But it's not. Two plus two equals four. I don't care how many times you took off your shoes and counted on your toes. Two plus two is still four. Remember the story of the elephant? That's a great story of elephant, of, uh, of uh, relativistic truth right here. You know, you have all the different people. One 
touch the, tu- the tusk and they say it's a spear. In other ears, it's a fan. Uh, in other side of the elephant, it's a wall. The tail, it's a rope. The legs, it's a tree. The trunk, it's a snake. And they say, well, this is all their way of viewing it. Their particular culture, the way they view it, says that's what it is. So for me, it's a rope because that's what my culture says. That's my viewpoint. For you, it's a tree. For you, it's a spear. So they're all right. Right? No, they're all wrong. It's an elephant. It's not a rope. It's not a trunk. It's not a wall. It's an elephant. I don't care what your culture is. I don't care how you viewed it. I don't care what it seems like to you or how true it is. The Wanamaker Eagle does not have wings out. You know, it's not true no matter how you feel about it. No matter what you say. No matter how narrow-minded that makes me. The fact of the matter is absolute truth is something that is limited. Absolute truth is something that says there is an answer. Now, that's either true or it's not true. When it comes to God, it's either true there is a God or it's true there's not a God. You can debate it. You can argue. You can have this viewpoint or that viewpoint. I can tell you there's a God all day long and tell you why there's a God. But if there's not a God, I'm still wrong. And you can say there's not a God and debate it all day wrong, but there is, no matter how you feel or what you're saying, you're still wrong. There is a truth that's out there, but we say, well, you know, everything's subjective, everything's relative, it's just how you feel, and feelings trump absolute truth over and over again. And that brings us to the third thing that we see. Truth can be known and acted upon. Truth can be known and acted upon. Look at verse 34. So Pilate asked Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? Because the the charge will be treason if there's any charge. And so he says, are you a king or not? Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus said, is that what you think or did somebody else tell you that? Now, if your life is on the line, that's a pretty snippy answer, isn't it? But Jesus isn't worried about what Pilate's going to do. He wants to go to the cross. Because his point, his, his purpose is to die on the cross to save the world. So he's not interested in defending himself. Pilate says, are you a king or not? And he says, yeah, who told you that? Do you think that or did somebody else think it? Well, this really irritates Pilate, who in verse 35 says, am I a Jew? Your own people handed you over to me. What did you do? You know, Pilate says, I'm just trying to figure this thing out. Work with me a little bit here, fellow. And Jesus said, my kingdom is not, is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight to prevent my, Jew, my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But my kingdom is from another place. So Jesus basically says, yeah, Mike, I'm a king, but not the kind of king you're talking about. If I was the kind of king you were talking about, my servants would come and fight for me right now. When Jesus was arrested and Peter took out a sword to defend Jesus, remember what Jesus said to Peter when he took out his sword? Put your sword back in your place. If I wanted to right now, all I would have to do is call my father and he'd send 12 legions of angels and wipe this planet out. That's not the purpose. That's not the plan. Put your sword up. So that's what he tells Pilate here. Look, I'm a king, not the kind of king you're talking about. I'm no threat to you or your kingdom here at all. And then in verse 37, Pilate says, then you are a king. And this is where it gets interesting. And Jesus said, well, you say I'm a king. But for this reason, I came into the world to testify to truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. So Jesus said, I came into this world because of the truth. What's he talking about here? The truth of what? The truth that God loves mankind. 
that mankind has taken the wrong route and, and has sinned and fallen away from God. That there's no way for these special creations that God has made to of themselves come back to God. And Jesus has come to take their sins upon him that they might have a relationship with God. Jesus said, I've come for the truth and anybody that believes in me testifies to the truth. They know me, they believe in me, they're going to follow me. And then Pilate gives the answer that started this whole sermon. He goes, but what's truth? What is truth? Is it situational? Is it relational? Is it absolute? What do you mean they came to testify the truth? What's truth anyway? For Jesus, he said, there was a truth we could know and a truth that we could that we could depend upon. And for Christians anyway, we say that truth comes from the Bible. That the Bible is true. That the Bible is the word of God. That the Bible teaches us uh, what the word of God says. Now here's the thing. If the Bible is not the word of God, don't follow it. Throw it away. Do what you want. But if it is, it changes everything about what you should believe, how you should act, and what you should do. And you can't just take it out of it what you want. You either believe it and follow it or you don't believe it and you don't follow it. Jesus didn't give, or Moses didn't give you 10 suggestions. He gave you 10 commandments. It's either right to commit adultery or it's wrong to commit adultery. It's either, it's either right to steal or it's wrong to steal. Uh, you know, th- those are things that are either, that are, are true or not true. And so it's either true or not, but you can't say, well, it's all relative. It all depends on what happens. Frederick Nietzsche wrote, uh, there are no facts in any area of the world. There are just interpretations and how you feel about things. Guess what? He was a favorite philosopher of Adolf Hitler and helped uh, to put all around. It doesn't matter how, it's just how you feel. If you feel it, that's the way it is. And so Christians get all this kind of thing thrown at them. You're you're narrow-minded. You're exclusive. Uh, you don't get anybody else uh, the benefit of the doubt when it comes to other faiths and other religions and other things like that. I believe everybody should be respected. I believe, I don't care what your faith is, what you believe, everyone should be respected and everyone should be treated with respect. But then what we believe is either true or not. And so if, if the different religions have opposing viewpoints that are so contradictory to one another, either one's right and the others are wrong or they're all wrong, but there's no such thing as everybody's okay and everybody's right. You, you can't be, uh, have such polar opposite views on everything in the world. Have you ever seen the little bumper stickers out there that says coexist? You know, that's out there. And there, there it is right there. And the idea is, you know, we all believe basically the same thing. We're all trying to find God. Let's just coexist. But a Hindu would say that uh, there are an infinite number of gods. There are hundreds of thousands of gods, and your previous life determined what your life like here, and it's all reincarnation. The New Age movement would say, well, earth is the source of spirituality, and the more you connect to nature, the more you connect to that. Buddhism would say there's no gods at all, and you're in a continuous cycle of reincarnation, and when you get to the point of enlightenment, you just join the core of enlightenment. Islam would say there's only one God, Muhammad, and you have to follow the five pillars of Islam to be saved. And Christianity would say Jesus is the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Now, if those viewpoints are so completely 100% different, they can't all be right. Maybe they can all be wrong, but they can't all be right. And so you can respect other faiths, you can respect the person, and you can respect their search for God, but it doesn't make them right. You know, there, there is a right and there is a wrong. 
There is an absolute truth. And so when you come to the viewpoint, it may just be your viewpoint, but you're, you're basing your faith on this is what I believe to be true. And so when people say, well, you're limiting truth or you're narrow-minded, truth is always going to be limited and narrow when you look at it. And that brings us to the last thing that we see in our scripture passage. If you ignore absolute truth, there are consequences. There are consequences to ignoring absolute truth. Here's an extreme example of that that you see on the board right now. This is a a young lady by the name of Chloe Jennings White. She has a PhD. She is a chemical engineer and makes several hundred thousand dollars a year. She self-identifies as a paraplegic. And so she lives her life as a paraplegic, except she loves to hike in the wilderness. And there's places where she can't get her wheelchair. So when she gets to places her wheelchair doesn't go, she gets up and she pushes her wheelchair. Uh, and, and, you know, but she self-identifies as a paraplegic. Uh, that's there. So at work, they've had to rearrange the entire office. They've had to spend thousands of dollars uh, to get her office and other things to where a handicapped person can use it because she self-identifies as a handicapped person. But now this is where it goes off the rails. (laughs) That was the normal part for today. (laughs) She is now demanding to have surgery to sever her spinal cord so she will be a paraplegic. Her insurance company has approved it because they say if that's what she self-identifies as, that's what she is. But the state of Utah where she lives is saying no, that, that, that's, that's, that's insane. Now, here's the thing. That's the, that's the ultimate end of relativistic thinking, that there is a truth for her that, as she says, I am a paraplegic trapped in an abled body. And, and so there is a truth that is there. And the truth is, you are not a paraplegic no matter what you may think. And no matter how we coddle you or what you say, it's not absolute truth. It's not true. And yet that's where we've gotten to with this idea that everything is relative and every opinion is fine. As long as you feel it, it's going to be okay. Let's see how our scripture ends down in verse 38. Pilate says, what is truth, Pilate retorted. And with this, he went out again to the Jews and gathered around and said, I find no basis for any charges against this man. But is your custom for me to release to you one prisoner at the time of the Passover? Would you like for me to release this king of the Jews? No, they shouted back, give give us Barabbas. Now, Barabbas had taken part in an uprising against Rome. Barabbas really was a treasonous traitor against Rome. So Pilate, what's truth? But Pilate does know something. Jesus is innocent. He hasn't done anything wrong. He goes out and he tries to free Jesus, but the crowd keeps yelling, no, no, crucify him, give us Barabbas. Whenever you ignore absolute truth, there will be a price to pay for it. If you tell the police officer, I was late, therefore I was speeding, you're going to get a ticket. There's still going to be a consequence to you ignoring absolute truth. If for you, two plus two is one, and you take one pill instead of four, and you're supposed to have four, there's probably going to be results from you ignoring the absolute truth that is there. It happens over and over again. You can't ignore absolute truth. Now, here's the kicker. I would say to you that what we call sin is the ignoring of absolute truth. That God has given us the right way and the best way to live, and when we ignore it, 
and we live our own way and we make our own decisions against what God said is true, you will pay consequences for that in your life over and over and over again. Jay Austin and Emily Grogan were two very sweet, nice people who just loved people. And they believed strongly that every person was innately good and that, people, that, that if you gave people a chance, they were going to show love back to you just like you showed to them. They took a trip over to Tazakstan, and when they took on their bike journey, right when they took off, Jay Austin said this, we're going to drive through the heart, we're going to ride through the heart of ISIS territory. Evil is a construct that was invented. The truth is no person is evil, every person is loving. And they rode into ISIS territory, and they were both murdered within 30 minutes of entering the territory. They were sincere, they were good people, they were loving people. But there was a truth that they were entering dangerous area that they refused to acknowledge because that wasn't their truth and they lost their life because of it. My friends, when you ignore truth, there are consequences to it. So where do we come to all of this? It's really very simple. You have to make a decision in your life on what's true. And when it comes to God, it's not everything's true. You just have to make it said, is this what you believe about Jesus true? There will never be a 100% fact on anything that has to do with faith that's going to be able to sit down for you. This isn't a math problem. It's a faith problem. But if you believe it's true, it changes everything. It changes how you should live, how you should think, how you should act, and what you should do. But if you don't believe it, it's the same. If you really don't believe it, don't waste your time being in here. You know, go watch the Masters or something. You know, you know, find something better to do. But if you believe it, don't just show up and go through the motions. It changes everything if it's true. And so your decision is, what do I really believe is true? And then how am I going to react because I really believe it? Abraham Reyes' family is from uh, the Philippines, but Abraham... Uh, he actually lives now in Ontario, Canada. His aunt passed away and left uh, all of her uh, stuff to her family, including a lot of the nieces and nephews. So they went over, and they were dividing up the family inheritance. So the kids were getting the house and this and that, and, and the, the, uh, the children and the, uh, the nieces and nephews were dividing up things in the house. Well, she had this huge clam that had something inside of it that Abraham's father and his aunt has always told people is the largest pearl anybody's ever found in the world. And so Abraham told his cousins, hey, look, you know, this was your mom's uh, uh, property that my dad gave her, said it was the biggest pearl ever. You need to keep this. It could be really valuable. And they said, oh, that's not a pearl. You know, they were just making all that up. And he goes, no, it could really be a pearl. You ought to just keep it and you ought to, uh, uh, you know, get it, get it examined or something to see if it's true. And finally, one of the cousins said, look, thing weighs like 70 pounds. Nobody in the family wants it. And so they had, well, anybody in the family want this thing? Everybody said no. And they said, Abraham, take it on the plane with you, a 70-pound clam. Take it to Canada. Good luck. That's your inheritance from your aunt. He took it back to Canada, had it looked at, and guess what? It is a 75-pound pearl worth $100 million. Nobody believed it. They all laughed at him. They said, take it back with you, and he did. 
But there was only one truth. No matter how much they felt, no matter how much they laughed at him, no matter what they said, the truth was, that's a pearl that's worth $100 million. Now, Abraham's problem is he says, oh, it's beautiful. There's no way I would ever sell it. That baby would be on the block in five seconds if I had it. I can tell you that right now. It would be there. And I'm telling you, I would tithe my 1% to the church if I did. I would, in a heartbeat, I'd be doing that. So where do we come with all this? There's either truth or there's, there's not truth. If what you believe about God is true, then you need to really live it and understand it. And if it's not true, then don't waste your time. But you have to make a decision in your life. And that's the exact decision that Pilate has to make. When Jesus said, people that that believe in me are following the truth. And Pilate says, but what's truth? And it's still the question we have to answer today. Let's have a prayer. Father, thank you for loving us so much. Thank you for giving us Jesus. Each of us has our own doubts and our own struggles when it comes to faith and belief. But Father, help us to know that there aren't many different answers, that there's either things that are right or things that aren't, things that are true or not. Father, help us to be led to the truth and to follow it. In Jesus' name. Amen. A few years ago, I read a book uh, called Choosing Your Faith. I would recommend that to, to anybody that would like to read I believe it's by Mark Middleberg. And the whole book is about, is there any reason to believe what you believe? And if not, then don't, believe, then don't follow it. And so that's what I would say to you today. If you're here and you're somebody that is unsure about the existence of God, what I would say to you is to begin that journey. Ask the questions. Uh, be, talk to people on both sides. They come talk to me. Come talk to other people. Really look at those questions. And don't just take it lightly. Because if there is a God, it makes all the difference in the world. And if there's not a God, it's the same way. But you've got to, to make that decision. So many of us don't even do that. We never even come to a point of saying, well, I either do or I don't believe. We just, whatever, however the wind blows. But you need to really look at what you believe and why you believe it. So, so take that honest journey of faith. You know, in the book of Proverbs, we said it's, it said uh, it's the uh, glory of God to conceal a matter and the glory of kings to search it out. So become those that search it out. If you've made that decision in your life, if you made the decision, I believe there is a God, I believe Jesus died for me, then, then live differently because of it. Your life should look different. So this, during this invitation, just ask yourself, if this is what I believe, how am I living right now? What am I doing? And how has it made my life different? The, step up and live what you believe, if that's true. And the last thing I would say is this, is that off the sermon altogether, everybody in this room has got problems and hurts and troubles, and, and you can come and pray at this altar and pour your heart out to God. He loves you. He cares for you. We've got people who love to pray with you as well. And then the last thing is simply this. If you've come to a point in your life where you believe in Jesus and you've never made that profession of faith, you've never followed him in baptism, then don't wait another day. If this is what you believe, start that new life in him. 
walk down this aisle and say you want Jesus in your life. But this is your time. Hey, uh, don't forget, Friday uh, is our Good Friday service. That worked out perfect this year that we're doing Good Friday on Friday. 6.30, our Good Friday service. Come be a part of that as we kick off uh, the, the weekend. And then Easter Sunday services at 8, 9.30, and 11. If you're an early riser, come at 8. We need as many people at 8 as we can get uh, because... We expect a full house uh, here uh, on Easter Sunday, and we will have an overflow room in the, uh, the choir room for, for overflow. But as many people as we can get to come at 8 o'clock, uh, the better. So 8, 9.30, and 11 o'clock. And then don't forget about uh, wind shape at uh, Moe's on Tuesday. Brother Larry. Come on up, guys. I want to introduce you Herschel and Diane Wright, and they've been attending for a number of weeks now. Is that right? And, and coming on a promise of a letter from the St. Matthew's Baptist Church, and, and this has been a difficult decision for them to make. They, they feel like that Jesus Christ is leading you here to serve at Westport Road Baptist Church, and, and it was a hard decision, and, and be praying for them as they can get involved and, and start to serve our church here at Westport Road Baptist Church. Would you do that, please? You'll be praying for them, will you not? Amen. Some of our deacons are here, and they're going to be coming by and speaking to Herschel and Diane, and please follow in right behind them and, and introduce yourself to them and tell them you're going to be praying for them, and you're so glad that they're a part of our church. Now, would you do that, please? Uh, Michael, would you dismiss us, please? Let us pray. God, we thank you so much that you are the way, the truth, and the life. And we thank you that you are the ultimate truth. And we thank you that we can trust in you and believe in you and know that we are right. And Lord, we thank you for your love and your grace. We thank you for Diane and Herschel who have joined us today. And we pray that you would help them to grow and serve as we grow and serve together. And, Lord, we just pray that you would help us to celebrate your son, Jesus Christ, who this week we, we celebrate the last week that he had on this earth, the Palm Sunday, the celebration, the crucifixion, leading up to the resurrection. We ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed today's lesson and that it spoke to you. If you have prayer needs or want more information about us, we invite you to stop by our website, mywrbc.org, and click on Contact. Please use the word podcast in the subject line. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, keyword mywrbc. At Westport Road Baptist Church, we love God and love people. Please join us for Sunday morning service at either 9.30 a.m. or 11 a.m. We also have Sunday school for all ages during both service times. Thanks again for listening, and join us next week for another message from God's Word.